Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Mountain Dew Baja Blast of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka moving to a remote cabin in the woods and sending packages to prominent Rate Your Music users. Mmm. Mm, that's very generous of you. Um, <laughs> you know, I've always been a gift giver at heart. <laughs> yeah. And um, I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. the chick who got her pussy eaten in the mosh pit at Asgard's Rye. <laughs> a very different kind of video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, there, was, there was a very sort of, um, they, they lined up in orderly fashion. <laughs> highly highly organized you know it's a I, I, I guess the most interesting thing about that happening in mdf is the um the actual surprise from people i feel that something like mdf shit like that should I, be happening constantly right I, I mean yeah like why that was mind the funny thing is that i'm sure most of the people who sur- were surprised were people who are like nominally all for that you know what i mean like yeah. if you had told them about that before they would be like wow how empowering and then when they saw it they're just like ew that's so gross well i mean it's as, like, as someone who's done the multi-day metal festival thing before i got to say um you know, it's it's all fun and games until you imagine the the smells and the hygiene involved after like th- oh, three days oh no. of Maryland summer. <laughs> I'm sure it was gruesome. I mean, but it's just oh. like you're you're at a metal f- like, and I understand why you wouldn't want to. Uh, I understand why you wouldn't want to watch or uh, smell, but the um, <laughs> but the it, it, you know, it's just. The the moral calculus of the act seems fine. It's just like you know that's it's it's you know it's like you know what they say you can't say it's not metal. <laughs> it's just oh god I can't. It's just because I always flicker back to that time I went to uh, Under the Black Sun with my buddy and uh, we we like, it's like Abigail the perception. Abigail, the reality—that's <laughs> that's forever street metal, bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just remember the uh, the you know. So we we go over to uh, under the black sun, and we decide to do it very spur of the moment. So we didn't get a hotel or anything. So we just slept in my buddy's car for three days in the German mm-hmm. summer in the woods outside Berlin. And uh, at one point, like after the first night, uh, we did meet some guys who had a room like on the premises and they actually let us use their shower. And thank, thank God for that. Cause I can't imagine the consequences if we hadn't showered that day either. But I just remember when we got back um, after that drive back from Berlin over to way on the West side of Germany um, you, you know, you become nose blind to yourself, but the moment we just shucked off our shirts when we got back, um, God, it was like, it was like a dump truck full of dead mice got unloaded in our rooms, too. It was, Jesus Christ. Uh, so the, the idea of, uh, you know, participating in oral sex with someone under similar conditions is a, a fate worse than death, I think. <laughs> It's, um, I think it's heroic. It's kind of heroic. You have to really, you have to really believe in yourself. You know, there's a, you have to believe in metal. There's an admirable rigor. 
<laughs> it's like a like a really strong second wave riff and it takes that resolve. Do, do you remember that video of the couple at a Manowar festival and at like or at a Manowar show at like Vakan or something? Like the interviews with Manowar fans? No, I don't think I know this one actually. They were like probably like nineteen and they were and they were like, yeah. Uh, and, and he was like, yeah, she loves to have sex to Manowar. They're like, hail and kill, hail and kill. God. <laughs> and she was like, she was into it. <laughs> those, those guys now have a band on Napalm Records. <laughs> yeah, that's probably. <laughs> so, <laughs> God, oh, Jesus Christ, never again. Um Okay, so uh, speaking of um, uh, crass sexual behavior, uh, I just got clued into this by uh, R from Numa Hagion. He posted about it on social media. So uh, recently we covered um, on a bonus episode uh, a record by Lord Gore who are a band who are part of a circle of bands from the Pacific Northwest uh, that did various kinds of, like, odd sort of uh, horror-inspired death metal. You know, old Razorback record stuff. Uh, so, But just recently, a new project has popped up from that circle featuring none other than Rob Fornicator, the uh, vocalist for a couple of my favorite bands from that scene, like uh, Fornicator and Whore. Um, so just out of nowhere, he's come back after something like 17 years of not playing, as far as we know, uh, with a self-titled debut EP for a project called Licentious. Um, there is basically no information about this. The tapes are available from uh, Head Split Records, which I believe is probably one of the guys from that circle uh, releasing stuff up uh, in kind of the Portland area. Um, but Rob is back. No idea what the personnel are in this band, and I don't even know what the, the song titles are on this thing. But the moment I maybe, heard... Maybe this is just the title of the... Maybe all the songs are titled are titled this... Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, that would be neat. Um, just untitled tracks. I mean, they just say five new tracks. And uh, we're just going to listen to the opening track off side A of this EP. Uh, it's, it's only about three minutes, so it's a, it's a pretty short one. But holy shit, Rob is back, and the music these guys are playing is, uh, I think, a shot in the arm that death metal really needs. Thank <laughs> you. 
All right. So what do you uh, what do you think of that one, buddy? <laughs> that that's good. That is that is nasty. That is really um, just degenerate in a way that I love. So his vocals sound different from what I remember. So we listened to some Fornicator. Did we listen to it on the bonus episode? I, I think it was after we stopped recording. Yeah. I showed you one just kind of as we were hanging out. So I remember that the Rob Fornicator vocals you played me, that they had this kind of like thuggish, almost like really low hardcore vocals, almost like sp- not spoken exactly, but they were kind of audible, right? Yeah, the, the that, lyrics that, were very audible. Yeah, it was more like a kind of very low guttural Gigi Allen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. these are real kind of um, are they inhales? They're they're more like brutal death vocals. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's a matter of um, him just you know his voice changing over the years, or he's mm-hmm. just doing a deliberately different style. Uh, if you listen to other Fornicator stuff, there is there's more styles of vocals that are closer to this kind of thing. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely he's going much more sort of old school molesting the decapitated uh, type thing here. Well, it sounds good, but let's talk about the, the the songwriting is astonishing. So they they say like it's it's a blend of like devourment and mortician and fornicator. So that in itself is interesting because I think a lot of people mortician is at this point considered right canon for trendy bands that have a kind of. Uh, you know, they're, they're either had they have either had this sort of old school vibe or a distinctly like hardcore beatdown vibe, right? Mm-hmm. And some of those bands are good, but um, you know, Fluids being the most avant, right? But um, whereas Devourment is sort of off in its own sort of corner as still sort of just like degenerate slamming brutal death, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so hearing the sensibility of devourment played in a stripped down raw death metal context is really cool yeah and yeah. Th- that's an example of um you know we've talked a lot about stuff from more classic or highbrow death metal crossing into brutal death and also to certain bands within death metal death metal proper who are paying attention to the real innovations in brutal death so concrete winds and apartheva rectatora who are like some of just the best most extreme bands today right they're very responsive to brutal death well here is a super nasty three or four chord like uh punk in the actual sense lowbrow take on that which i i really appreciate yeah, uh, just hearing this first side of this tape, I'm really excited about this. Yeah. Um, you know, the the whole thing about uh, fornicator and horror was just the 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 totally just like dark degenerate energy about. It. I mean, fornicator, fornicator had songs, the titles like "I Got Your Fucking Kid, Bitch" and stuff like that. You know, just <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. you know that that sort of like modernist, realist, urban horror stuff that I'm really into in death metal, and it feels like licentious uh at least in terms of the tone of the music is kind of following in that direction um so yeah i love the the sort of like chaotic sawing molesting the decapitated grind riffs and i like the really stripped down breakdown figures um the solo is at the end is the only thing that kind of like gives it a little bit of musicality otherwise this is you know anti-music death metal in the best way possible 
Yeah, it also resonates a lot with how direct the... Um, resonates a lot with the second record we're getting to tonight, I think. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, this this is coming from a, a different lineage, but you're seeing... Yeah, very different lineage, but it's just dealing with essentials in a very uh, crushing way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just know that, I mean, shit, this... If people are paying attention, this is going to go off like a nuke for real death metal people, and uh, I can't wait to hear, you know, a, a full length from this, hopefully soon. How's it going? Connor here from Oncology, and you're listening to Terminus. Alright, and we are back from discussing the uh, couch roaches and chair bugs, <laughs> you know, in our various pasts, uh, to um, discuss something very different. Something, uh, something vast, something uh, metaphysical, and something clean. It is The Scars of a Lost Reflective Shadow by The Chasm. Out now on his own label, Lex Inframundus Productions. Uh, he's got all of the Chasm stuff, or the vast majority of it, is actually available independent on Bandcamp, uh, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah, Daniel Crochado's got his label that's just for his own stuff, and it looks like some related projects. Uh, yeah, pretty- it's it's like some side projects that him or some of the other Chasm guys yeah, have done. which is pretty cool. And, you know, he's done all the recording for this one, at least, and I'm sure some of the past ones just totally in-house DIY. So I, I respect that a lot. I, I didn't know that about them. Um, and he's got this release uh, LP lined up on Dark Descent, and I think there's going to be a CD release somewhere, but I'm not sure where that is. And as, as I say, I'm a critic, not a journalist, so you, you can figure that out yourself. Um, uh, but yeah, um, so I had no idea this came out, honestly, um, which, which says something about the sort of, um, uh, you know, the gutter of extreme metal where our head is much of the time. <laughs> um, but, um, th- this was, uh, this was end of May. Um, and you know, it, it's a big release. And um, the chasm is certainly important to people in our neck of the woods, right? The Hessian Firm guys have always been big fans. Um, And, you know, as I've extended my tentacles into stuff that's a little more... um, More long hair. A little more refined long hair, has more notes in it. Um, you know, I've checked out the Chasm in, in recently, right? I remember back in the day, it was the kind of band I assumed I would hate, in part because of how the death metal guy described it to me, um, which we'll get to. But the, uh, but like, you know, there's there's stuff in it that's that's interesting, and the Chasm is an important band for us to cover because they're at the root of, they're kind of at the root of a style that's big right now. You know, like you you hear a lot of people. Um, who we've sort of tried to talk on the show about getting beyond the riff in part because one of the sort of just if you're a person who basically knows who you know understands the proper spirit and basically knows what he's talking about with metal but is being very casual right you'll just be like why do you like that band they'll be like well it has the riffs man those fucking riffs right uh and the chasm has riffs tons of riffs long elaborate flowing melodic uh death metal that is actually thrash metal riffs which we'll talk about um 
and they're sort of connected and you know their origins in Mexico but I think now rooted out of Chicago and connected to this style of elaborate not exactly death metal death metal you could also put Argoslent in and Stargazer in right so these other bands especially the early Stargazer so these bands known for big elaborate uh stuff that often has a a classical or folk sense of melody in it um like really long developing melodies but each one still works as a riff in a sense that would be familiar to someone from an 80s thrash band Mm -hmm. and um you know the 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 big chasm record everyone talks about is uh far seen the paranormal abysm um, and that one has some awesome riffs. It's a little bit wandering for me. It sees a little too far. Uh, but um, this new one really dials it in to be something like it seems like what, uh, I, I don't know, like the Chasm's idea of the ultimate thrash record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, you know, I, I've definitely not been following uh, all the moves the Chasm has made over their past few records, but this does seem more direct than uh, a lot of the stuff that they're best known for the the much more kind of wandering expansive stuff uh, these function a lot more like straightforward metal songs in a lot of ways yeah yeah it's not until the middle of the record that uh that they start to sort of um expand outward a bit and even then it's in a pretty controlled way where you can break the songs down riff by riff and uh they tend to remain focused on, uh, you know, there's mo- this is mostly just sort of sharply defined pedal point riffing throughout this, right? There's a lot of chug, but it's not heavy chug, nor is it kind of like abrasive Slayer creator chug. Um, it's this kind of crisp, articulated, uh, you know, yeah, crisp, articulated, warm-toned chug. Um, you know what it kind of, so here, this is kind of like similar in some ways, but total opposite to the Apartiva record we reviewed the other week. Yeah, it's, it's going for, um, sort of a, a traditional mid nineties death metal production style. This is, you know, a little bit more generous when it comes to reverb and stuff than the Apertiva record, but definitely they're trying to keep things a little bit flatter than usual, pretty midsy and just really focus all the listeners attention just from riff to riff. Yes. The Apartiva has more of an extreme dryness, right? This is more of a sort of uh, giving sound, but yes, the focus is meant to be on the riffs, on the interaction with the drums, and you want crisp and clear tone, and uh, in this case, very organic kind of tones. Um, and uh, and in both, there's a kind of uh, crypto thrash thing going on, much mm-hmm. more buried in the Apartheid, right? It's like, oh, this is a really avant-garde extreme development of thrash, right? And Apartheid is, we just mentioned in the last review, you know, one of the most sort of... Um, originary bands out there right now, right? Tapped into the very early 90s and at the same time doing something totally new. This record is interesting. So the early Chasm stuff, I've also, I took this as an occasion to go back and listen to the old stuff somewhat. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad I found Death Cult for Eternity, colon, The Triumph. That fucking, that's awesome. And I can hear that being at the root of a lot. Like an important record that I didn't really know about. Um... 
This one, though, you know, this is a band that has a reputation as very progressive, but this is a great example of the kind of thing we say on this show where, like, being heavily influenced by progressive rock doesn't necessarily mean the music is moving forward, right? This seems very much like a tribute to and love letter to certain things the Chasm likes about Thrash. It, it's, it's a re- deliberately kind of retro album. And another thing we covered recently that it connects to is Cranium. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. As in, this, the Chasm could have, th- this Scars of a Lost Reflective Shadow could have been released in 98 as part of this wave of people from black and death metal taking a greater interest in thrash metal. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, you know, 80s thrash metal. And it really could have been released in Sweden. That's a thing I didn't understand. So back in the day, right, if people, when people describe the chasm to me, how, you know, you were more there for it. How did people describe the chasm back in the day? Because, like... Well, so it's... It's it's kind of difficult to talk about because the the whole frame of reference that's the thing when it's like what do people describe things as well I mean that changes contextually based on you know whatever year it might be um mm-hmm. back then I would say that the chasm was heavily associated with um sort of high-minded european style death metal in general um, it wasn't really tied to any sort of American style lineages. I would say, yeah, probably some of the some of the weirder Swedish stuff, you know, I, like liars in wait, creep mime, uh, sort of heady, sophisticated death metal stuff from the early to mid '90s. Um, but that's also kind of weird because you know the chasm uh, was contemporary with, with, with most of that, uh, as well as uh, the first cenotaph record that uh, Daniel Corchado played on, which was in '92, I believe. So yeah, their first one was '94. So this band basically, like like Black Death and somebody else we've covered recently, these guys have just been continually doing their thing since the old days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. So the Chasm is a band that has this really long lineage behind it, and it's it, frankly it's so long that, I mean you, I don't know if you can really compare it to other things. It is really kind of its own thing. I mean Corchado's work with uh, with Senatataf puts him basically just at the very origin point of the entire uh, Mexican death metal scene, which is something that's still pretty pretty obscure but is starting to gain more traction you know people talking about cenotaph and talking about uh shove and stuff I have like heard that. About that more yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's just more people looking back um but those were pretty established albums for you know like kind of record collector uh death metal nerds at the time mm-hmm. yeah so like i mean the thing that struck me about this and is certainly present on uh um, Death Cult for Eternity also is um, this sort of like prominent dissection influence. Um, it's really in the sort of thrashy neoclassical stuff on this, on Scars of a Lost Reflective Shadow, um, in the elaborate shapes of a lot of these riffs. So it's like if, if, in the, if in like 2010 someone had said, oh, you should check out The Chasm, they're from sort of Mexico and the US, but they really sound like dissection and sacramentum but like more techy and thrashy mm-hmm. i'd have been like oh that sounds really good and I, th- I think i would have checked it out um so that's an interesting thing to hear um it, this really fit and it, it fits with that idea we've you know we've talked about about like swedish black death really being descended from speed metal 
Well, here is something mm-hmm. that's written like speed metal. And I think the thrash band it's probably most influenced by, which is also true of the Swedish stuff and didn't really occur to me till the other day, was Destruction. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I was actually just talking to uh, Nick from Hessian Firm about this, and he associates the chasm with Destruction really heavily. There, well... Yeah, so I I really initially liked Destruction back in the day, and then for whatever reason, just like lost, didn't check out the right albums, didn't keep exploring uh, exploring it. But like, I went back and listened to the first one the other day, and it rips. And it's some of the first really, really riff-oriented uh, extreme metal. Like, just like every single the tracks are like deliberately homogenized everything is sort of basically one two thrash beats and each riff is killer and you can hear the origins of that kind of noble or aristocratic tone in the swedish stuff and you can also hear just this kind of searing eerie speed metally thrash that ends up in dark throne or whatever right um and so that and and like the chasm destruction has a very does not ha- it has a very crisp clear tone it's just really focused on just the riffs and, mm-hmm. and the vocals um it's a fantastic guitar playing well worth re-listening to or checking out if you haven't and very different from creator and sodom um mm-hmm. so yeah anyway that's our big background discussion about the chasm and you know where it stands and stuff now let's talk about the fucking songs uh yeah so let's um Hmm, how should I approach this? Okay, so, you know, the problem whenever we cover a band like this with such a long legacy behind it is that um, it, it becomes difficult to just review a record without it kind of turning into, you know, a referendum on the band. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think it's, like, worth saying, you know, at, at least to some measure degree. is like, The Chasm is a band that I've never really gotten. Uh, I've never really understood them i've listened to a lot of the records i had a copy of death cult uh back when i was younger and i spent i spun it a bunch of times and it just never really connected for me um and i think that listening to this one uh maybe the reason why it didn't connect uh makes a little bit more sense um because now listening to this where this sort of unveils the band i mean maybe other people knew this already but it sort of unveils it as fundamentally kind of like speed thrash at its heart more than death metal um okay so that that kind of reframes my understanding of the rest of the band um Basically, this is objectively very good music. Uh, it is also after basically none of the things that I'm interested in extreme metal for. You know? yeah, yeah, okay. Like, I'm, I'm just going to say it. Like, on a gut level, on a basic gut level, the death metal guy hates the chasm. Um, less so nowadays. When we were coming up, the chasm was... They were like a name check band for a certain kind of cool death metal guy. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, that's worth that. That's worth mentioning briefly because that's the other thing, and it's a problem when you review bands that have been around for a long time, right? You can accidentally end up reviewing the fans. Yeah, but it's still worth discussing how it's been received and what influence it's had. Yeah. So, so very briefly, I'll just say, uh, especially back in the day, still continues to to a degree, but mostly back in this like kind of two thousands time frame where the Chasm were kind of at their peak uh, in terms of popularity. 
chasm fans were, were fucking interminable people to talk to it was just yeah. like, there was just there was such a sheer confidence in fans of this band that this was it this is death metal this is what everyone's supposed to be aspiring to be everything is uh everything is critically evaluated based on its proximity to the chasm and should you mm-hmm. should you fail to properly represent the same sort of songwriting values then you just have no reason to fucking be here. Now that's that's eased up over time, as all things do. People become less fucking assholes as they get older and stuff. But um, it is also reflective of a thing, which is that the Chasm is fundamentally a band for people who see death metal as high art. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's a reasonable perspective. That's kind of the perspective that Hessian Firm and all those guys are descended from, and we like all those dudes. Um, but it also kind of explains why just like it, it, I'm immediately not into this just because it's, this is, this is a quote unquote death metal record that is not about being heavy or dirty or horrifying, you know, (laughs) many of the Hessian firm records, many of the records that they like are also heavy, dirty and horrifying, or at least a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And even if you go back to, um, if you, if you go back to Corchado's previous band, uh, Cenotaph, that's like heavy, dirty and horrifying. Um, mm, okay, but, interesting. but Corchado's primary interest I see as a songwriter is that he is a, he's a guitar guy in a very distinct way. Um, mm-hmm. I think his interests in terms of songwriting are tightly interwoven with, um, kind of his technical expertise, uh, on the instrument, which is not to say that this is like wankery. It's certainly not that. Yeah. It's really not wankery. It's, these are actually very short clearly directed songs yeah however i do think there's a lot of writing on this which is uh perhaps some of the ideas are kind of starting with physical technique as a fundamental Mm. idea and then the intervals are kind of built around that you know what i mean so let me let me play a sample real quick uh something kind of representative uh we'll go to an occult gift response uh which is a few tracks into the record um, and this is a part that I really enjoy uh, because I think we'll discuss this. There is a uh, kind of a division on this record between the more diffuse sort of wandering, uh, farcing the paranormal ab- abysm parts um, and the stuff that's just like really tightly coiled tech thrash stuff. And I think for the most part, the latter where the the outlines of the song structure are a little bit clearer. And there's just more fixation on achieving just this idea of this, like, sort of chrome-plated, super tight, uh, really intense rhythmic configuration. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. I I think when they concentrate on that, that's where the best material on this record lies. So let's listen to some speedy stuff up front and then going into the Chasm's version of a kind of mid-paced thrash breakdown.
so this is kind of one of the most straightforward parts on the record. And it's also, I think, just without question, one of the best parts of the yeah. record. Yeah. Um, there's really cool riffing ideas. I like the... Uh, the, the the way the riffs develop on this song feels a little bit more organic to me than they can in other places. Um, I think that the chasm in a lot of places has a tendency to do the kind of riff slideshow thing. Um, here, everything feels a little bit more put together. There's a, a more logical sequence. A lot of this has to do with just different kind of songwriting standards. You know, early mid nineties, death metal relies on a lot of just like really neck snapping kind of structural changes. Uh, mm -hmm. But I've always just preferred it when there's a little bit more of a continuous thread. And that definitely has that. So, yeah, well, the focusing, this is like their version of how do we write the ultimate thrash metal song? Right. And so they have to, and they're making, it's a more extended version of a typical thrash structure, but it's, they have, they force themselves to work within that f format. Yeah, they 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 chasmify a sort mm -hmm. of standard uh, thrash structural conceit. There's just a way higher number of you know riffs per minute mm -hmm. than is would be comparable to anything in the '80s, and uh, there's more modern guitar technique. Uh, you can tell you can tell that Daniel Corchado is a guitar guy um, mm -hmm. in a way that. I think maybe there were a lot more guys like that back in the 80s and 90s. I mm -hmm. think that yeah, that's, sure. that's almost kind of a dying breed in extreme metal now, the, the dedicated guitar guy who also wants to play this stuff. I think a lot of them have gone in um, sort of other musical directions. Um, but yeah, no, I think this is a really solid example of kind of the chasm, at least on this album, at their best, where we're just doing these... Uh, really sort of dizzyingly architectural assemblages of what are at their root really traditional thrash riffs. And that mm -hmm. whole conceit to just make the world's most complicated thrash record, yeah, I can I can kind of get behind that. Yeah, um, you know, and it's not even probably the most complicated. I imagine there was sort of like constipated technical thrash from the early 90s that was more complicated than this. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, like at their best, there's a really... When the chasm resists the tendency to noodle and divert, there's a very clear sense of line in this mm -hmm. music, which you know I like. Uh, yeah. And they do that th other thing that I like, which is, like, how do we generate aggression and, you know, maybe not your sense of death metal heaviness, but aggression and impact purely from, you know, rhythmic interaction. Right. I mean, I think I think one of the things most immediately comparable to this record would be like Psychoptic. Um, oh, yeah. In the sense that it's like it's it's sort of unaggressive in a sense. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got a, a similar kind of mystical thing going on, similar kind of production quality, similar emphasis on really intense sort of convoluted right hand work on the guitar. Um, just a lot of kind of interesting parallels. I, I really get what you mean. That's a very good point. And um, yeah. The Psychroptic's just more concentrated on groove than these guys are. There's a new Psychroptic record coming, by the way, which we should oh, really? probably cover. Yeah, we should um, check that out. Yeah, it's got a really cool album cover, actually. Um, the, um, uh, but the, uh, but yeah, so th this is, um, that's worth pointing out also, right? This is, the, like Psychroptic, this is sort of extreme thrash as cool wizard music. Yes, yes. Right. It's very another thing it's kind of like is Akerkaka, but Akerkaka is much more extreme and aggressive than either of these bands. And yeah. has, has more abrasive tones. Mm -hmm. Um and more black metal. Right. This is um, yeah, yeah. this is uh, this is um a 
this is sort of refined thrashing cool wizard music. Um, yeah, yeah. This is this and, is this is beyond long hair. This is hair down to your ankle shit. Yeah. Uh, like I, I got the um, you know, and so the first two tracks on this record. I mean, when I started out, I was like, oh shit, this is a thrash record, and I appreciated that about it. They were just like very, the first couple of tracks are just very direct thrashers that have complicated, cool, spacey riffs on them, mm-hmm. and an occult gift responds is the first really, me- but they do kind of blow by. Like I think if I were. I think if I were younger and really listening for just like that is a sick thrash riff, that's a sick thrash riff, that's a sick thrash riff, like I'd probably have more time for them. You know what I mean? But yeah. occult gift response really carries weight and is when I've played it the album again, it's when my brain really switches on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's this like, is oh, this is those cool thrashers, but it's also heavier, more aggressive, and with more memorable riff sequences. This, this is definitely a record that is uh, you need to be primed for a little bit, and I think that priming mm. is easier for certain kinds of listeners. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that I'll keep coming back to this well. I Again, it's like, I don't really dislike this because it's just apples and oranges. Like, um, mm-hmm. this is for a... Almost like, like I said, kind of a dying breed of death metal guy uh, at this point. You know, the the guitar guy death metal guy it's you know, it's a it's a venn diagram that seems to shrink every day and they used to be kind of synonymous yeah they really did used to be the same thing and i mean corchado is one of the only guys who's really still kind of holding that up you know it's uh it's kind of interesting yeah so um on that note of extremely long hair music do you remember listening to a thrash metal album from the 80s and getting to an instrumental track? <laughs> oh, no. You know how, like, everyone is like, you know, like, uh, there's the part where he just, like, plays the bass forever. Isn't that track literally called Pulling Teeth? <laughs> it's like, like um, R.I.P. Cliff Burton. Um, but the, um, uh, like, you know, or like songs where they just play a thrash, play thrash riffs, but without singing, and it's a little fancier, right? Uh-huh. Those are sort of dreaded parts, right? Because it's a great example of a band not having the correct idea of what, a band whose idea of themselves is out of tune with what they're doing, right? Like, what Metallica is good at is doing crushing rhythm guitar riffs, right? It, especially at that stage, like, uh, you know what uh what any number of these other thrash metal bands are doing is right sort of like this fast punky focused stuff right but then there are those moments where like well we're a heavy metal band we're musicians we're gonna do an instrumental track oh god Mm -hmm. right this and you know hearing a band running through thrash format song right you know the pulling teeth is not like that but like there are other tracks that have thrash format songs and hearing a band run through those like rote one four chord changes while they're not, while you don't even get the angry yelling, is like really depressing. <laughs> however, however, the chasm is really really good at it, mm-hmm. and I was listening. It sounds natural for them, um, and I didn't even notice this track. I loved this track, and I didn't even notice it was instrumental until the end. So this is uh, about a minute and 35 into the Constellation Stagger.
Sorry, sorry, I was uh, a little late on the on that sample there. I was uh, reading the wiki on Claude Debussy. <laughs> <laughs> and for a good reason, right? So, to your, you know, you, you've asked, you know, like basically, you know, to some extent you see this music as having less in common, not really as sharing the same objectives as extreme metal, right? Yeah. Uh, at, at least in in terms of what I think extreme metal is about, I'm trying to like what's what's the most qualified fucking sentence I can make here. Um, yeah, well. I, I I don't I don't think it shares a lot with the things that I'm in extreme metal for, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, I would say I would say like a track like the previous one, an occult gift response, or even actually the two records we. The two tracks we chose after this, I think mm-hmm. those fit a lot more in the extreme metal universe. Yeah, um, yeah, that's fair. But things like this are, um, but it's weird that highlights of the record like this are just completely outside that universe. And you might ask, at this point, are the metal conventions just holding it back? Um, yeah, like I, I, I kind of, I would kind of. What if the Chasm dudes just wrote a record like this without worrying about any of the conventions of thrash beats or any of the tone out, any of the tones or the vocals or whatever, right? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I, I think we both agree that. Um, uh, I mean, the Chasm's done a lot of instrumental work before. Their last record mm-hmm. was entirely instrumental, and even now with the vocals back, it's like the vocals do feel like kind of an afterthought. They just they don't really have much of a place in this music at this I point. Get wh- I get why you'd want them in an occult gift response or tracks like that because then it, those are supposed to be the more aggressive ones. In that case it would feel a bit like, hey, I want my angry, my, my anger sounds. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, th- that's fair. It's a part of the physical impact of the song. Or it's just like an additional percussion instrument. However, when they're doing stuff like this or even some of the more involved thrashy stuff, it does seem kind of beside the point. Yeah. Um, you could maybe have vocals of a completely different kind, you know, um, mm-hmm. that may be a little more atmospheric, like deliberately yeah. using, instead of using vocals as an extra percussion line, there's plenty of complex rhythms. Use them as like texture um, or like, um, yeah. But I mean, you, you um, can imagine like an eccentric clean vocal performance over this music pretty easily. Oh, if you got a really good clean vocal, if you got like an act, somebody with classical training to do that, or mm-hmm. if you just got a black metal vocalist to have someone do weird distended shrieks with a ton of reverb, that'd probably sound kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Or like you know, sort of woo 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 ghost kind of woo woo woo. That's that's the sound a ghost makes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or gothy, even gothy declamation, sort of like acrocot clans or whatever. You know, um, there's a lot of possibilities, but a sort of barking death thrash vocal is not the way to go. And you can hear why when you give them free reign on an instrumental track. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they use the galloping thrash beats a few times to build up momentum, but the overall motion of the music is like aquatic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it starts, you know, it slows down, and then it sort of the track really gets it really gets going when it kind of stops, and then just interests and gets us into this wobbling kind of. I'm I'm not gonna be even be able to hit those intervals. Um uh with my brilliant classical singing. Um uh 
but you know, like the note choice here really is like this turn of the century, twentieth uh, century impressionist music, like Debussy and Satie and all that. And it's something I know that that's kind of intrinsic to certain kinds of proggy metal stuff. But I swear it's in the water because we heard that on Doldrum last week. Um, and, you know, we've followed this band, this weird guy from England called Oppress, who has, like, overtly has that kind of aesthetic. Um, and, you know, there are liquid sounds in Thrash, right? You can hear Slayer and hear how that insta- how that sort of becomes, you know, Triazicdote's lava sound, mm-hmm. right? But, like, I don't think it can sound aquatic or nebular or sort of um, underwater. Um, and this is, or, or liminal, right? Thrash doesn't, is, thrash is not about sort of, um, liminal halfway moods, subtle shading, one thing transitioning into another. Uh, this track really is, and it's, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, it definitely, if this is the kind of thing you're looking for, this does access uh, an atmospheric dimension that is pretty unique in a way. Yeah. So what do you got next? Oh, yeah, I got the next one. Um, so this is a... Uh, you know, this is I think for both of my samples tonight, I just did two tracks in the middle back-to-back. <laughs> this one is... Um, a Chronicle from the Parallel World. So here's something where it works more like a extreme thrash song um, or, or extreme metal song. Uh, you know, maybe this is the most black metal track. Um, it, it's one of the more aggressive ones, but it's all at swaggering mid-tempo. Uh, and where the sample comes in, we pass through one initial riff sequence, and now we're on the second iteration.
Well, I really like those last two riffs. Yeah, yeah. No, those are those are really cool shapes there. Yeah, there you get that like really tight downbeat half blast, uh, uh, like sort of um, sort of scowling Teutonic thrash riff, right? That's that kind of noble sound you get in Destruction, right? Or a little bit in Sodom in a different way. Um, and dum 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 dum, and really cool variations on it as it repeats. And then you get that kind of swarming trem that like glides out of it, which is like Swedish Black Death, but really harmonically complex. You know, it's it's like sort of sacramentum riffing, be giving give, being given like a liars and white type treatment. Oh yeah, no the, uh, the 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 harmonic depth on this or, record, or just more like at the gates, like red in the sky is ours kind of shit. I don't know. Yeah, know? no, that's that's comparable. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a it, it's definitely it's got a harmonic depth that's very rarely matched elsewhere in metal. I, I'll, I'll give it that. There is just some very very complex uh, guitar interplay happening on basically all these songs. And so now let's talk about what you said during the sample because on um, let's. That's good because there's a lot of harmonic depth here, but there's not necessarily a consistent harmonic character established in the way that would give this record the kind of um, imaginary space or imagined space that a black metal record has. Yeah, well, I was saying while that was playing that I think that one of my issues with the with this record and maybe the chasm as a whole is that it. It's like you've you've said sort of half jokingly sometimes on uh, on some of our reviews that there's too many good riffs. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a case where I'd be like, yeah, at any given point on this album, there is something really cool happening in terms of uh, just in terms of you know guitar technique, and those are all really neat in isolation. But I feel with like the way the songs are arranged, it feels like every riff is sort of like attempting to muscle itself forward uh and mm-hmm. be and be the big riff so i think the result of that at least for me is that okay maximalist technical presentation that's cool but what i think it might be missing is a little bit more uh, structural dynamics i guess i want to say it's constantly operating at such a, a sort of like high intensity high focus sort of level that the songs don't have a lot of room to breathe. And instead of being a series of peaks and valleys, it feels like they're attempting to hit a peak like every, every 15 seconds. Um, and well, I, appre- I, appre- I appreciate the conceit there, but it's, just, I don't know if I'm into that. Well, that's the other thing is that there's a kind of songwriting that doesn't operate on peak Valley. Right. Yeah, that's, that's like that's music that's based on powerful rhythm riffing does not operate in that way. The, you know, it's not like grinding, grinding. You know, attack riffs don't mm-hmm. work that way. Uh, and a lot of black metal doesn't necessarily work that way, right? You can have a whole song of great, amazing riffs, none of which are the big riff. Um, but these riffs are composed like the big riffs on songs that work by peak valley structure. Yeah. Or or on records that pull out a few big riffs over the course of them, right? Yeah. And this is a... So it's like every... Yeah, every single one is an exclamation. It's like every single (laughs) punctuation... Every punctuation mark is just an exclamation exclamation mark. And and that's not like... That could be said of many music, much music that we like, but it's... 
it's a thing that can work as a deliberately homogenizing effect, but instead everything is trying to call our attention to it. Yeah, yeah. It's everything clear- like like look at me, and and so it becomes this. You get overwhelmed in this sea of difference without distinction, and it can become. Ironically, even though each individual riff has this elaborate, clearly refined shape, it can become shapeless. Yeah, to, to, to clarify just for the listeners, I think that you tend to use the too many great riffs thing, especially in certain kinds of black metal, especially like very mm-hmm. melodic stuff. You see, for me, that works a little bit easier because that those tend to come up in very, very rhythmically and atmospherically homogenous kinds of compositions. Here, the... Um, it's just a natural part of uh, Corchado's riffing. Here, the shapes are so distinct, and they emphasize such a intense, uh, sort of rigorous rhythmic configuration that uh, they stand out way more. Um, and so that that sort of like exhausting, endlessly maximalist thing gets to me in a way that it doesn't in black metal that tends to be very melodic, very high energy, but also sort of atmospherically and stylistically flattened out. If that, if Mm. I've explained myself, okay. You know, uh, that, that is interesting. Yeah. So I think I kind of mean the same thing about those though, or although maybe in a different way, those are written as, Yeah, with those albums, it's like every... Well, it's a little... To me, it's a little cheaper on those because those are often written like hook riffs. Yeah, um, I, I guess, I guess. well, maybe a simpler... It's like trying to make every riff a hook and may, there are all these... Well, maybe a simpler way to say it is also just like, I think that stuff like that sort of hyper-melodic maximalist black metal, you're not really supposed to be giving like 100% attention to the whole time. Um, yeah. He, the chasm, you are clearly supposed to like... Put this on the stereo and put on your glasses and sit in an armchair while yeah, staring no, at opposite. middle distance. You know? I think it's I think it's I think it's a horseshoe effect thing. It's opposite sides yeah, yeah, of the yeah. same continuum. It's like on the one hand, it's this kind of poppy, inadvertently poppy songwriting that ends up overwhelming you with uh, hooks and sort of it becomes this mush. That sort of music to me becomes mush. It's yeah, like yeah. homogenized. I would say it's too smooth. Mm-hmm. This sort of like flow, easy listening flow of, of trem. On this side, it's like everything is like, hey, no, pay attention to this. Now, <laughs> now no, pay attention to this. Are you taking notes? Um, and, um, and, and, and they have a very different surface affect, but it comes around to this problem of difference without distinction. Um, it's, it's, it's all kind of... Um, it can lose its form. But back to, I basically think that passage is cool, though, because it has a lot of cool riffs. <laughs>
All right, guys, welcome back with our final record of the night. Um, and this one is also one that came out like a, a little bit ago, and I didn't hear about it until pretty recently. Uh, this is the newest record by the recently returned Slugathor, titled Crypt of the Ancient Fire, out on Drakkar Productions. Um, this is the first Slugathor record in 13 years, um, and this is actually a case where Slugathor were a band that I knew of sort of vaguely in the background, but I'd actually never listened to them uh, during their heyday between the mid and late 2000s. Um, as kind of like all that I knew was, all right, they're uh, sort of a doomy death metal band uh, from Finland, and I guess I kind of mentally associated it with... Um, probably incorrectly, uh, with some other stuff that was getting bigger at the time, sort of the the, <laughs> the first wave of throwback death metal, I guess, at this point, you know, like Raga Johansson type stuff, you know, drawn and quartered, shit like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wasn't really into most of that, so I ended up just kind of dismissing this. Um, but they came back, and I was like, okay, Slugathor, I remember that band vaguely, let's give it a whirl. And I think I put it on our spreadsheet after, like, three seconds of like hearing one of the tracks it's it's just fucking ridiculous i was like yes we're immediately covering that 20 seconds into the record i was like this is going to be on my year end list and by the end i was just like i can't believe i slept on these guys this whole time uh i clearly need to go back through the rest of the discography um so for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, Slugathor is a slow death metal band from Finland. Uh, they are, without question, uh, following directly in the big-booted footsteps of stuff like Ripakolu, accessing a whole lineage of really dark, really gruesome, uh, sort of doom-infused death metal, uh, which is kind of a, a, a finished tradition. Um, you know, it, it's perhaps not as prominent in a lot of people's minds as, you know, the kind of, the kind of like, weirdo edge or the, uh, the sort of uh, progressive-touched stuff. You know, I would say, you know, Sepulchral Curse, Demigod, that sort of lineage, that's one, and there's a lot of great stuff there. Say demigod finally kind of fits in this lineage, though. Yeah, demigod just has a lot more going on on their songs. I'll get to that in a second. I'll I'll talk about that. Yeah, but uh, in short, so Slugathor is more directly within this sort of like doom infused fin death lineage, Um, and it's in a lot of ways very comparable to the Corpsest record that we reviewed Mm -hmm. just a few weeks ago, which we both also loved. Um, But Holy shit, this album is, um, what, what is the most prominent thing to say about it? It is crushingly minimal in a great way. Um, this is, if, if Torture Doom could be death metal, it's very close to this. And uh, really, this is a realization of, uh, you know, I, I've, I love Doom, I love death metal, and I've always loved the idea of Death Doom, but it feels like more times than not, it's never really pulled off in the manner that I want. Um, obviously, I love old incantation, that sort of thing. But a lot of the time, it just it's always missing something. I think listening to this new Slugathor record, I'm like, so this is what people are talking about when they describe, you know, Asphyx's The Rack. You know, uh, or any number of other records that 
I thought were kind of cool in the abstract, but just never connected with me. This has like a physical weight and presence to it that is basically impossible to deny. This is, it's going to be hard for there to be a heavier album than this, just in pure Sonic terms this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, I basically feel the same about this like this is the kind of i mean this is that kind of place where our musical taste really intersects yeah the kind of thing thing that like both of us just put on the highest pedestal which is just rigorously minimal bludgeoning art right yeah Uh, disciplined hypnotic repetition uh sort of incredible uh attention to detail that's required because of the simplicity of the riffing um just dense continuum of power right and Mm -hmm. this absolutely has that and um whether we're talking about death or black metal you know we both like shit like that um Mm -hmm. and this is uh yeah i mean it's awesome. Do I like listened to this half paying attention yesterday when I was doing work in a like I was like in a bar on my computer and like I half listened to this and I was like, Yeah, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, like this is like you know, yeah, basically your end. Um and um it so to speak more to the influences, so I actually think this does sorta of have something to do with demigod. Um the point being that demigod is actually really slow. Mm-hmm. It has blast beats, but the and it has more sort of up tempo double bass. But the momentum in the song is very much like, you know, people see Demigod as sort of like, right? The thing like the Demigod side of Findeth, right, has this sort of like dark majesty, right? Mm-hmm. Which you hear more on the Corpsest that has these elaborate leads that uh, do kind of black metally things without really sounding like black metal at all. Um, and Demigod has that, um, but and it has that in part because it just has this like heaving Lovecraftian bulk. Um, as yeah. the, 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 the right, it's not like fast or it's not particularly propulsive. It's more like this continuum that sort of like lurches and sort of crests over into the next idea. Um, and I think Slugathor has some of that. And yeah. really, the interesting thing about Demigod is that it's like um, Bolt Thrower with the forward momentum taken out. Like, it's yeah. like Bolt Thrower structured around blast beats. Bolt Thrower structured with a black, black me- with a certain kind of black metal sensibility, almost. It's like the use of the blast beat to create just an objective thing, like a wall, or just like a... Uh, a or a continuum, a space, right? And... Um, it's sort of bolt thrower. Really, the riffs are very much like bolt thrower. They just don't crush in the bolt thrower way because they're much more focused on this sort of uh, stable heaviness. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so bolt thrower is also a big part of the fin death sound. Um, yeah. And uh, that is all over this record, um, especially on one thing I've sampled. But there's this bolt thrower. Um and, um, you know, something that the press said for this, that, that, you know, and I think if Drakkar guy wrote this, I give this some weight, um, which is, he said they started out as sort of a copycat old school death metal band, 
and became extremely original. This is definitely an original record. Yes, yes, um, I agree. Like or, uh, as we say, originary. It has uh, the ancient thing, and therefore it has the future. I think that I think that a lot of people are not going to realize just how kind of futural this stuff really is, mm-hmm. just because it is, you know, in large part built out of very old techniques, uh, v- very old traditional parts of very extreme death metal. Um, but yeah. you know. Another thing worth noting, though, is like, and you know, I, I always go back to this. Well, everyone's probably sick of it. Um, one thing that I would really compare this to is I'm more of a fan of them than you, but it's the band Ruin uh, from California, mm-hmm. who we've covered mm-hmm. a couple times on the show. In that, so Demigod has this sort of dark majesty. Slugathor has that too, but it's also just got there's a real sort of like repellent sadism to it. There's, there's a physical viciousness to this music. It has this, um, Mm -hmm. it has this occult atmosphere, but it's definitely in the sense of like supernatural entities, torturing you in very physical ways. (laughs) Demigod is not very, it's heavy, but it's not physical. This is super physical body music. Oh yeah. Can you imagine seeing this live? Oh my god, we've got to see Slugathor, bro. We Dude, gotta we, get slugged. We got we gotta get slugged, and I, I I feel like at every show somebody has to like get decapitated in the pit, right? That's the only way this <laughs> a blood sacrifice has to be made to the slug. It's, um, <laughs> y- y- the um or just sort of suffocated. Everyone just sort of throws themselves on top of one person. Yeah, you're that's just a slug. You're just execution by crushing. Absolutely. Oh, that's a, yeah, which is one of the pictures I posted in the notes for one of my samples. <laughs> one of my samples, I didn't write anything. I just posted a picture of a, a, a an execution by crushing, like a woodblock print of that. <laughs> and I just wrote under it, God, I wish that were me. But yeah. this is um this is that for swarm of rats, which we'll get to. So in in, in the samples, so I've got some more reference points for this. And it's not to point out, like, oh, God, all these discrete influence. Wow, they really integrate all these discrete influences into a... Yeah, n- none of yeah, that. The yeah. point is just that these guys are drawing on such elemental sound ideas that they're not restricting themselves by genre. So this is in touch with things that are happening in other spheres. Um, so both of my samples will emphasize that. And I'll hopefully bring out some of the originality. Just things you might not expect connected with this music. Yeah, well, I mean, you can. this is one of those cases where it's like as extreme and down the line as this is, it also just directly connects to Celtic Frost. You know, it, it's... Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that all the best stuff does that. It's like, it's kicked mm-hmm. off and into an insane, like, you know, uh, you know, gamma knife precise point way down the road. But it's also in immediate proximity to the original classics, you know, yep. it's, it's and, both at once. And, you know, last thing would be just like in a weird way, it connects it in the fact that this is very traditional and very riff based. It connects to the, the, the chasm record we just reviewed, like, right. Very different <laughs> takes in the sense that like this episode is just all about just like big fucking riffs. Um, and so. Without further ado. Oh, uh, well, one more thing before we get into the first sample. I can't believe I'm, like, missing this. Obviously, part of this tradition, a, a major part of it, is Beharit. Uh, yeah, 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 of course. 
Well, Beharit is the number one of the number one influences for a band I'm going to mention shortly. Yeah, yeah, of course. We'll get into all that. So, um, first sample, I literally just wrote riff good. There's there's no point to writing notes, in a sense, for a record like this. This is such an elemental, physical record. I, we could not even review it. We just put the album in whole, and that's our review. You know? But we'll, mm-hmm. we'll try to like have something interesting to say. This is from Cast Aside. It's the first track on the album right after the intro. We start right from the beginning. Tell me five seconds in that it's not like, yeah, this is perfect. This is what death metal is supposed to be. So, yeah, in, in in my world, you know, I guess this is it's such a bizarre thing to juxtapose this this record against the Chasm record. But it's like if you're wondering after the Chasm record, I said <laughs> the Chasm record is after just things that I'm not after in death metal. What am I after in death metal? It's literally just a picture of this album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like this, this is the point of death metal to me in a, in a large part is shit <laughs> yeah, like this. I, I kind of agree, too. I, yeah, it's just, like this is the essence of what it should be. It's just it's it's horribly dark. Uh, it's it, it's like it, I always describe the sort of like cackling with malevolence thing mm-hmm. that you get from like demon C and shit like that. It's just so fucking evil. It's very chthonic, right? It's it's very it's chthonic. Low tones coming up from the earth. I mean, it, it doesn't have the. I mean, the other I guess quintessential element of death metal is right that sort of like dazzling dazzling speed and technical performance or whatever but you know that's not really that's not ultimately that's not really what either of us are looking for no yeah and um, and and really like what this band arrives at is like the thing that all the original bands kind of understood but a lot of people have forgotten now because they've kicked into two directions it's the 
high art, low art merger. It's like, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. cathonic. There's a dark god rising. There's something very abstract and very liminal and, you know, very high-minded about that. What are the material results of that? Just oceans of blood and suffering people and violence. Getting their, people getting their asses kicked. Left <laughs> yeah, right. just, there's just dark, people... dark odds are rising, and believe you me, there's just going to be an ass beating tonight. Yeah, it's like the, the dark odds are rising. That that's the, this isn't a, a cool fancy horror movie. This isn't an A twenty four movie where it, it cuts when they rise. No, then there's. 6,000 years of people getting their fucking faces ripped off. Right? <laughs> like, I just kind of like the idea of people punching each other in the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so obviously, um, what's interesting about this um, record is so much of it is based off this incredibly minimal brute riffing, but there's also some really surprisingly kind of agile guitar stuff that'll happen. Yeah, yes. Um, that first riff was like, it had so many notes in it relative to the rest of the record. Yeah, and actually that kind of thing pops up a lot. There's a lot mm-hmm. of kind of nuance and textured guitar work on this uh, coming from these kind of simple but very cleverly arranged lead passages. It's just the bulk of this music is so fucking heavy and deliberately reductive that it becomes uh, it becomes almost difficult to remember those parts, but they add a ton in the background. Oh, that's a big riff. It's like, it's got a cool, um, it, it's, it's also got a nice thing where it's not... Um, all of the um, changes chord to chord, or I guess it's probably just a really low single string, but all of the all the note to note changes happen kind of slightly off from where you'd expect them, and the riff doesn't end. It's like it's not ending at the end of a measure, and so it just the actual riff is four repetitions long because it turns back on its it turns around in an irregular place you're not expecting. Yeah, there's so a, there's each, a lot of each of the first four iterations of the riff is actually different. There's it's a, really sophisticated and cool. There's a, there's a lot of really subtle kind of head fake timing stuff that'll happen. Yeah. Um, it's it's sort of a phenomena that I was talking. <clears throat> I remember back in the day I was talking to. Uh, the uh, the guitarist from Graveworm. If you're not familiar with them, they're sort of no, like, I am. I am. Uh, yeah, kind of the. Of Celt- course, I'm familiar with Graveworm. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was talking to Kevin one time, and I was talking to him about some of his riffs. He was like, "People don't understand. After you've done ten albums of this shit of doing like Celtic Frost stuff, you have to come up with really complicated versions of these things <laughs> <laughs> that still basically sound simple, but there's so much going into those riffs that you don't even realize." <laughs> Slugathor's in a similar situation. There's really convoluted stuff. Of happening just under the surface just to avoid doing the same riff <laughs> that's been done well, before and you know and i suppose maybe that's another thing that really puts this over the top is it's not sort of um it's not cartoonish sort of caveman or whatever no yeah. nor is it just you could do a version of this that would still be sick that's deliberately just sort of like raw garage barbarian mm-hmm. right there's a version of this record that's very close to this one that is that is like that, that's just like smashing chords mm-hmm. and would also be sick but the reason this is a masterpiece is that this has the energy of that but it is in fact making use of that arsenal of maximalist technique that death metal players have and that in death metal is a sort of a standard yeah so, yeah like if you had blasted that first riff like eight you know an octave or two up that would be a big riff on another album yeah no that's that's fair it's that uh, would be like an that would be one of those things where it's like oh yeah here's an incantation style riff that like is you know actually how incantation sounded 
Yeah, it's a, it's a whole record based off of generally very simple things happening, but applied with just a master's touch, with, with an incredible understanding of what the constituent parts do and how to manipulate these very simple ideas in novel ways. Yeah. So, um... Let's let's play the one that's gonna make us like try to kill someone in our in our empty rooms. Yes, this is um yeah I, I'm actually gonna stand up. Um, <laughs> Me too. So, <laughs> yeah, baby. So um this is uh I, I I texted you about this one last night. So um, <laughs> we were talking about bolt thrower. think that is the longest bolt ever thrown <laughs> it's so oh man just 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 the opening fucking riff just that open note thing i was saying it's like when i first heard that i just started scowling i wasn't in a bad mood i was just like fuck yeah i i i'm i'm mad now and i love being mad <laughs> dude so this is um you know we were saying for years that in some ways um Beatdown hardcore bands were wiping the floor with death metal in terms mm-hmm. of the extremity wars, right? And but really, after Zabalba and maybe one or two other bands, a lot of the music that came out of that has been super disappointing. 
Yeah. Like, they, they invented a tone and a technique and a format that introduced really crushing pit riffs. But the song, you know, I would listen to all these bands where the songwriting would just really let me down. Um, mm-hmm. And it's partly the just, okay, it's hardcore, right? But um, the, it's, um, they would, and you know, part of it is that although those bands were all really into Bolt Thrower, they were also really into, like, Bad Sweet Death. Mm-hmm. Right, they were like yeah. really into entombed or whatever, and they saw them. It all glommed together, so it became all the same thing, and it was all like HM two pedals and whatever, and just kind of stupid. And so you know they'd do you'd hear something like that in a beatdown song, but they'd try to put more notes in it, and they they missed the point entirely. <laughs> and they'd and they or they'd make it into some jump to fuck up groove, right? Which again is, <laughs> this is not at all. Right? <laughs> there's, uh, there's, you know, uh, it, there's there's a groove to that, but it is not funky, um, and it's uh, it's just in, in terms of basic technique wise, just that you know downbeat choke, um, open string. It's technically identical to things that happen all over, you know, beat down and deathcore records. I don't mm. think there's like a single difference. It's just more brutally minimal and focused. And yeah. And then, you know, so you've got that very traditional sort of, you know, zero one, four, three figure, you know, the like the death metal notes basically. Mm-hmm. And then you get into this agile S tier bolt thrower riff, like better than most bolt thrower riffs. It would be one of the best on an actual bolt thrower album. And they just rip it out. Like it's fucking nothing to them. And then the next thing they do is they keep going. That is one of the secrets to this band. They never stop when songwriting convention dictates they have to stop. Hardcore bands are super limited by that because it's like, well, there has to be a mosh part now. Or like, oh, we can't keep doing the fast part. We're a beatdown band. Or like any number of limitations. Um, There is no... And death metal bands don't stop because they have ideas of good taste or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't keep playing the same riff, right? Um, if it's good enough, you sure fucking can. <laughs> and, but the other cool thing is that I'm pretty sure they changed the riff a few times in that sequence. Yeah, there's this tiny is, this little is a, fluctuations. This yeah. is, so another sign of a great band is that it coins technique. There is a Slugathor technique that you're also going to hear on my next sample, which is you keep the homog... You know, there, there's cool black metal songs, right, which we talk about, a thing I love, right, where there, you get to the drum fill and the change-up, and then the guy just keeps blasting. Yeah. Um, and, but that's sort of punctuated. And, you know, often he changes the kind of blast beat, right? Uh, although in the funniest examples, he doesn't. Um, but the... Um, it's more punctuated and there's more of a clear riff change because it's the, how the black metal riffs are written. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, here you keep the, you know, the, the, just the rolling homogeneity of double bass going, which gives it this extreme forward momentum. And you subtly change just like rhythms and inflection, rhythms and notes in the rolling trem over it, or the palm mutes, the the chug the chug and trem stuff happening over it. Yeah, right? it's, it's it's pedal point riffing, and you do that on the fly without any pause or punctuation. So that, like that first riff on cast aside, 
you get this thing that's not limited, not segmented at all. It's like a whole, you could say the riff is just this thing that happens for two minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it almost like different melodies in it. It's almost like a, a very different take on the sort of, you know, extended melody idea of, you know, the sort of axis of advanced descended bands. You know, it's it, the, you know, that's the, a really good point. Yeah, it functions in a similar way because it's like, I mean, it's loosely kind of fitting into, say, a four repetition structure, but the entire conceit of it is built around those constant intervallic changes. You know, it is a complete piece unto itself, even if it's not quite as distinct as it might be in, you know, into oblivion or something. It really, it really, yeah, it's one really long phrase, or one really long musical sequence. Yes, absolutely, you're right about that. That is true. And another way that this band uses real death metal technique. Um, and, um, and also just the technique involved in making those changes on the fly, right? There's no drummer to mark it for you. There's no sort of like, now I'm changing from one riff to the other. And it has to be almost the same riff. So you have to remember how your three riffs went together, right? And you have to just do as a guitarist and the bassist, right? That just has to be totally seamless and liquid. Yeah, you um, definitely get the sense that these are these are songs developed through jamming. Oh yeah, they know? play a lot in the garage. Right? Um, <laughs> just I, I don't know if they do anything else. <laughs> they just they yeah. just sit to there. To be fair, this isn't garage music. This is bunker music. But they they, they, pl- <laughs> they play a lot in the old Winter War bunker. They've been um, they've been just continuously drunk and practicing for thirteen years. You know? <laughs> yes, the reason it took them a while to get this out is that someone finally sent a messenger out to check if they were okay. <laughs> he, he was on a snowmobile. Um, oh God! And but the um, so yeah, that is just just beautiful, majestic, gorgeous. Um, it, you know, moving, um, and uh. You know, I think between this and the Corpsest, we can finally say that death metal has caught up to and uh, beaten the brakes off hardcore in the Extremity Wars oh, just yeah. in this last year. Yeah, I, I, and, I think and that... the Finns are largely responsible for this. I, I think that in terms of, if, in terms of making a stripped-down, heavy, physical music, it feels like every few years, hardcore and uh, death metal have to, like, trade places. And we're entering a... Yeah. We're entering a new cycle of death metal supremacy. They gotta show. slug it out, and hardcore just got <laughs> slugged. <laughs> Fuck. It's so bad. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's just... It's, God, this album's so fucking sick, dude. <laughs> Yeah, this is just really sick. I'm just, we're both grinning ear to ear. <laughs> we're um, having a great time on this one. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, um, obviously, as we listened to the last one, I was we were both standing up, and I just realized as I was uh, windmill headbanging and playing air guitar, um, I, I looked in the window, and my reflection, I could see I was wearing a Ride for Revenge shirt, <laughs> which is appropriate, because another thing that we might sep- artificially separate off from death metal is Ride for Revenge, which is stupid because it's tapped into the very same impulses as Finnish death metal, certainly must be influenced by Ripacolo, mm-hmm. although I don't think we've ever talked about it. There's some much more death metal-y, chuggy riffing on this last Ride for Revenge record, more dynamic riffing uh, that, that clearly fits there. And, you know, the thing that you were going to mention up front that we've got to mention, right, Better It. 
mm-hmm. um, is uh, a big influence on Ride for Revenge. So Beharit, Archgoat, Ride for Revenge, probably Barathrum, although I don't know them that well. This sort of like super deathy, down-tuned Finnish goat metal is um, a thing that is fair game for Slugathor. That's getting brought in all over the place. And as you point out in the notes, this is occult death metal, right? This is sort of mystic, it's majestic in its own way. Uh, and Ride for Revenge has some of that in odd places, right? Ride for Revenge can almost is, oh, yeah. is kind of... Ride for Revenge is a pagan black death band in the same way that Ripicolu was. Um, and uh, here in Faceless Icons you get the, uh, you know, it, as if this couldn't get any more perfect for me, right? In, <laughs> in Faceless Icons, you get the uh, um, Barbarian Sword riff. It's, it's, it's an incredible articulation of that idea within this severe death metal style. So that is a great example. Uh, the last, hopefully people had in their head the idea of the Slugathor technique because you just heard it, right? So they do that drop into this sort of lurching chug riff, which is a lot like the last Ride for Revenge album. Um, uh, although more more deathy and more sort of grooving here. You know, you can hear the bolt thrower still here too. But um, And they play that, they rock that one out, right? 
And then then eventually, without breaking the rhythm at all, he starts just emphasizing, he just starts playing the turnaround. Mm -hmm. And then he switches out into that more ornate last trem riff that they were just on. There may even be another one in between, but all of that happens. They've just decided that the sort of the bolt thrower rolling double bass thing is underrated and that like it's so awesome that you can turn it into an art of its own whereas bolt thrower you know even like you know bolt thrower can that can become a holding action for them especially on the later stuff right yeah well bolt and, thrower, and bolt thrower is just blockier than these guys mm-hmm, in general mm-hmm. yeah that kind of yeah the idea of liquidly shifting rifts over it that's totally specific to these guys yeah, um, and that's I mean that's really what this what this whole record comes down to is just that the the sophistication of you know the best death metal is about embedding these sorts of subtle structural ideas that that take the 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 sort of carnal essence of body music and then elevate it from there. You know, like like the best mm-hmm. hardcore does. You know, you, you have to start with mm-hmm. this foundation of pure body music, and you can never forget that. If you forget that, you've gone wrong in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of tucking in these things that elevate it above that and create a narrative and create a, a very complete piece. And you know? they also make it heavier. I think yeah. <laughs> that too, yeah. Like, like, that is just fucking... That's it's 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 not it, it's a it's several cuts above what the normal band could do, but it also just makes that riff sequence more insane, right? the uh, The ability to switch out riffs over the double bass rolls like that allows them to just keep playing the double bass roll, and not just to do it as a holding action, but to keep the momentum. Right? Yeah, it's not just this empty groove that they're switching. They're they're doing thrash changeups over, like a bolt thrower would, or like a bolt thrower clone band. It's 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 just full of the. It has all the original momentum of when it hit, accumulated, and uh, intensified as they keep changing the riffs. Um, it's really cool. Uh, yeah, it's a you it's, know. I mean, it's good. man. I could I could just talk about this fucking thing for hours, you know. Oh, oh, we we gotta talk about yeah. the vocals. We gotta talk about the vocals. Oh, and on we gotta album. talk about the mistake real quick. Then the vocals. Oh yeah, the, the cool accidental pinch harmonic in that that break after the opening riff. Yes, there's there's all kinds of weird little production quirks across this record that they just left in. Um, just very. Like, this could be a record that was just recorded live kind of thing, and they were just like, fuck it with a lot of the minor things. But, you know, those weird little inconsistencies are what we love about old school death metal. Drakkar actually sent the guy in the snowmobile out to the bunker with a tape recorder, and then he left, (laughs) and nobody else has seen them since. Yeah, uh, but the the vocal performance on this record is fucking putrid man it's uh it, yeah there's actually a lot of variation in in style i'm, I'm not sure exactly what the i'm not sure exactly what the vocal setup is for this band it sounds like there's a couple different guys doing vocals um so you've got you've got this standard like incredibly guttural grunt and then you've got stuff that's a little bit more open a little bit closer to a regular death metal growl and then the the, the, the worst are these like blood curdling fucking shrieks you know 
not not black metal screams, but the sound of a death metal guy doing high vocals, which is sort of like a forgotten technique of, you know, your your bassist who's never done vocals before. You're like, hey, man, just jump on this. And he just does something horrible like that because there's no established technique behind it. Mm-hmm. It's the, yeah. The, well, the, so the beginning of this one was hard to sample. Because they spend a lot of time in these kind of wind-up riffs that are very deliberate. And there, they were sort of shifting between maybe like two to four of these kinds of wobbling chord phrases. Just like, you know, three chords at a time. And they actually follow kind of a meaningful chord progression with space in between them. And the vocals are stretching out over them in a way that provides a continuity that makes it more than just this kind of doomy wobbling. Mm-hmm. Um, the vocals are creating that, even though the drums haven't come in and the riffing hasn't come in, the vocals are creating the heaviness and continuity there. It's like a fabric stretched over, or, you know, I guess, I don't know, distended flesh stretched over them. Uh, and the vocalist is changing tone in a way that's maybe not identical with, but synced up with what's happening in the rhythm there. And I actually couldn't, the space in between each chord set and drum hit is being filled in by the vocals, which are then trailing off over each new one. So, you know, when you want to start a sample, right, if you want to like, okay, well, there's been this intro stuff going on for a while, so I don't want to, I don't need all of that, right? So how can I clip to a place, say, right between one of these drum and guitar hits? And there's it. there's no good place for there's it. There's no yeah. clean place to do it. It's always in the middle of something. So I just did the best I could. I basically had to go as far back as possible without just going straight to the beginning of the track. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of vocal inflection throughout this. Over the original, everyone could recognize, I'm sure, the Barbarian Sword riff. But the vocals are just going to town over that. Like Yeah. Um, it's, it's fucking nasty. The, the vocals are not just adding heaviness. They are part of the drive. This is very low-tempo music that has incredible drive, and the vocals are part of that momentum. Yeah. Uh, it's the, the whole band works together as such a perfect unit in moments mm-hmm. like that. Um, so real quick, last one. Swarm of Rats. Uh <laughs> So I've been calling. I, I call this slow death metal. This track in particular is a a doom song at its heart, and it's also the shortest track on the record. Um, it's just over three minutes, and it is borderline funeral doom tempo. So that's kind of an interesting idea in and of itself. They're doing something so slow and so sparse, but they make such a complete idea in such a comparatively short amount of time, and. You know, what this really reminds me of, this track in particular, is the absolute apex material by Coffins, where you listen to it and it just feels like you're suffocating the entire time.
Dude, it's just it's the heaviest fucking thing on the planet. It's it's yeah. it's like Jesus Christ. That's so that is so fucking that that recaptures, you know, when you're first listening to death metal as a kid, that that feeling of morbidity, the the, the feeling like, oh, I'm not supposed to be listening to this shit. You know, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it definitely has that. It's like I remember listening the first time I listened to Mortuary and Darkness by Coffins, and I was just like, "I'm 14, and I don't feel like I'm supposed to be listening to this right now." <laughs> you know, it's like you've transgressed some sort of invisible boundary. Uh, I, I, hey, I, I, I was here for the picture of the, <laughs> I was here for the picture of the naked chick, and now things are getting weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, does Mortuary? And- but the um, Mortuary and Darkness ah, does indeed have a naked chick. I mean, uh, but the um, but but the the swarm of rats thing is uh, that is another good example of how the vocals keep momentum, right? That oh yeah, is the closest to like a doom track. That's the closest to having those kinds of like extreme doom uh kinds of just drum tom hits or whatever but it doesn't and the vocals are threading it all through yeah it's um, it's got an appropriately ghoulish ceremonial quality to it absolutely yeah i like that one a lot and it, it like bears it, it wasn't my favorite on first listen but now i really like it um the um and also the lyrics all you know you've pointed out the lyrics are very audible they also often seem to refer to each other so in that he said something about the going towards the endless halls which is the name of the next track mm-hmm. um there is some sort of like thing, l- loose mythology being explored you know yeah so let's get to that real quick which is the album cover so lately death metal album covers have gotten pretty fruity right like, I'm, not, I'm not just talking about the triangle stuff right like the, the swirling space bullshit i'm talking about like actual death metal album covers um and i think it's in part you know basically every good th- every good thing can become bad right if it if it's getting you know uh if people are driving it into the ground and forgetting why it existed in the first place and all that, right? And so one of those things that's happened is there was this... Death Metal covers were just, like, shitty and CGI for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, in a way that I think it's pretty difficult to be nostalgic about. Um, and they sort of started to respond to the uh, superior aesthetics in Black Metal by reviving old Dan Seagrave-style stuff. Or just, like, actually commissioning a bunch of Dan Seagrave shit, right? He's still alive. Um, and But but that became more and more exaggerated until it just album covers were just, like, full of, like, whirly neon bullshit and, like, creatures and, like, nonsense shapes and, yeah, you know, sort of, like, goofy-looking gore stuff. It, it, it really got high on its own supply, you know? It got high on its own supply. Or And on the other hand, you get bands, like, getting, recruiting that guy who did the Mirror Reaper art, that sort of, like, pompous kind of Polish style. Yeah, that, that's Ladislaw oh. Beksinski knockoff oh, shit, yeah. You, well, no, yeah, the knockoff of Beksinski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great, but, yeah, the stuff that's, like, these kinds of atmos... Everyone is the same. It's, like, this kind of atmospheric... 19th century landscape painting that has a really poorly proportioned gigantic figure somewhere in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, he has done slightly better ones that break from that formula. But, like, 
Death Metal should not have that shit on the cover. Um, this is... This is... So this feels... Okay, do we want the cover art to have some skulls in there? It's gotta have skulls and shit. Uh, do we want it to have that sort of monumental, dark fantasy vibe of early 90s death metal? Yes, right? We want it to be of a thing and it be cool and it not be CGI. Okay. Um, and there are no colors on this cover. <laughs> it's like there are, there are two colors, black and charcoal blue, right? Um... And it is just the vaguest outline of a ziggurat or something, right? Uh, and you're sending up the ziggurat, and there's a big old skull guy over the top, and there's lightnings going down to the ziggurat. And it's um, it it sort of has the things that were good about that initial '90s style death metal illustration without any of the bullshit that's accumulated around it. Much much like the music itself. Let's go. Let's go. 